0: Like, I just learned that that we as humans are are pretty fickle Um, and that it doesn't it doesn't take a whole lot to make us change our minds. Um, It's just that it takes us a long time to admit to changing our minds. (laughs)
1: Welcome to the 19th episode of Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington. I'm an award-winning novelist, a best-selling humorist, and I am now quarantined, um, just like the vast majority of the world. Uh, last, last episode, I tried to make a hilarious joke about being not yet quarantined, and um, now I am. Um, But I knew it was coming. It wasn't an attempt to scoff at the gravity of the situation. Um, It was just a lazy joke, and now the lazy joke is no longer true. Everything just suddenly got twice as difficult for me professionally um, with this quarantine. I now have two young children home from school all the time that need to be educated and entertained, which makes doing everything i do uh three times as hard um but i am going to do my best to keep cranking out episodes of this show every two weeks at least for as long as i can at least until the plague turns us all into zombies or whatever it's supposed to do for this episode i um had on my friend blake collier blake is primarily a film critic Um, and a podcaster, uh, but he also has a master's degree in history, um, which is what we talked about on the show. Um, The way he put it was he started life very much opposed to and offended by, quote unquote, revisionist history. Uh, But after however many years of grad school, he came around to the realization that in his words, all history is revisionist history. Um, it was a really interesting conversation. We get deep into the weeds about um, the historical method and American educational policy it was it was pretty interesting. I'm gonna go ahead and uh, let Blake speak for himself. I will flip you over and I will see you on the other side. Welcome to the 19th episode of Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington, and I'm sitting here with one of my all-time favorite people, Mr. Blake Collier. Say hi to the people, Blake. Hello, people. There it is. Blake Collier is... um, I consider him one of my best friends. Um I don't know if he feels that way about me. You seem like you're like one of like everybody's best friend. So well, I don't know where I rank in your hierarchy of best that's how friends.
0: I, that's how I get my validation. And yeah, so know, right? uh, if, if I'm everyone's best friend then no one knows when I'm actually, you know, depressed.
1: Well, there you go. There you go. You're just you're just one of those people though that's like You're just a super people person. Like everybody knows you, everybody loves you. Am I wrong about that? Yeah,
0: no, not not which I'm super jealous.
1: I don't have that going for me. (laughs) Well, it's
0: it's weird because my my wife always tells me that I'm the most extroverted introvert that she's ever met. Because that's like I'll 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 be at a at a get together of some sort or a party, and I'll talk to people all night long, and then you won't see me for three days straight. So.
1: So you're introverted and fits and starts.
0: Yes. Yeah. It's, it's how I recharge my batteries. <laughs> yeah. So.
1: All right. That makes sense. Sort of. I don't know. I can, I can go with that. I mean, I mean, I, I can see like an introverted people person, like you like people, but it takes a lot of energy. Yes. I, I don't even have the liking people. thing. Me. I
0: just... <laughs> well, and, and it's weird. Cause I'm so cynical, like in, in a lot of my ideas and stuff like that. And yet, like I, I, I still have hope for whatever reason. So,
1: <laughs> well, there you go, there you go. Um, anyway, so Blake is a he holds a master's in history, which is what we're going to talk about. But by day, he is a mild-mannered film critic. Um, I don't know about mild-mannered.
0: Um, uh, yeah, not cor-
1: A coarse-mannered film critic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Writes primarily for uh, Rise Up Daily and Real World Theology. Um, And currently, and this is probably the most impressive thing about him, is um, doing a podcast called 88 Names with Matt Ruff, author of the acclaimed novel Lovecraft Country, which is currently being adapted for HBO by a couple of people named Jordan Peele and J.J. Abrams. So Blake is like two degrees away from being famous. Is that correct?
0: It's more like three or four at this point. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm about two degrees from Kevin Bacon, but
1: there you go. I mean, <laughs> I mean, considering considering that the max is six, that's I mean, that's better than average. Yeah, right? I'll take it. So um, it's, it's got so a little you,
0: bit of cachet to it.
1: Does that mean that does that mean that you have the option of cutting footloose if you so choose?
0: Oh, I've cut. Or do you have to so do you have to be times. within? <laughs> I've cut it from my watching, from my video collection. <laughs>
1: Just <laughs> I just cut it out of my life. I couldn't see <laughs> it. You know, true story. I actually, I watched footloose for the first time last year. Um, and it was okay. You know, it's like, it, I feel like it's probably one of those had to be there movies. Like yeah. if you weren't a teenager in the eighties, but I watched it back to back. I was, I was kind of on this kick of like eighties romance movies for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so weird to me how like normalized domestic abuse was in those things. Like every, every time a couple got mad at each other, they just started hitting each other. (laughs) Like footloose is that way. Flashdance was that way. It was, it was like, okay. And it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't all male on female violence. There was a lot of female on male too. It was like, was that what they, was that what the eighties were like? Everybody just hit each other when they got mad at each other.
0: There's just so much, uh, you know, wealth and prosperity in the 80s that like it destroyed their <laughs> soul. had to do
1: something. Yeah. Well, that must be it. That must be it. Which, um, the only yeah, way the they current... could
0: release themselves is to put it into 80s films.
1: Yeah, that must, that must be it. Um, <laughs> gosh, we're all already way off track here. Um, let's talk about what's on everybody's mind though, which is, how big of a depression do you think this um viral outbreak is going to plunge us into
0: <laughs> oh uh,
1: and if, you know, and, if it, and if it's a huge depression will we get our souls back <laughs>
0: uh, well so the the answer to the first question is I, I i unfortunately i I do see a lot of really negative writing on the wall for the for for the economy as a whole, especially if the uh, powers that be continue to not actually do their job.
1: Um, Well, Blake, let's not get political. Yeah, exactly. Not on my podcast. (laughs) I didn't say
0: which political figures. Okay. (laughs) They're the big ones, the big ones. Okay. Stop
1: getting political on my podcast (laughs) where I endorsed Bernie Sanders in the last episode.
0: Uh, Yeah, I voted for him too. So there you go. Um, yeah, no i I have hope that after it gets worse, it will get better. Let's put it that way.
1: <laughs> I mean, the, if things continue to get worse, at a certain point, they have to get better, exactly, or stay the same. Yeah. One or the other. <laughs> we got to flatten there's that a, curve. There's, a, there's a certain point where things cannot get any worse. It's a
0: negative curve and we got to flatten it, Luke. Come and then
1: now. unless nothing changes, they will be by definition getting better. Yeah, uh, that's right.
0: <laughs> Sometimes history is becomes good when nothing happens.
1: Do we need to talk about this more? I don't know. I'm I'm on the, I'm on the fence because it's one of those things where like, it's there and it's affecting everybody so that it's weird if you don't talk about it. Yeah. But at the same time, like every podcast I listen to has been talking about this and I'm just, you know, I don't know if I, by the time this comes out, are people going to be sick of hearing about, Oh,
0: we're locked in because of the virus. I mean, yes and no. <laughs> I mean, you're, you kind of have to hear about it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's kind of part of the part of being in this country right now or you or
1: you can just ignore the whole thing and go party for spring break that's apparently an option too.
0: Florida (laughs) sounds like Florida is still open so
1: (laughs) so on a scale of Florida to San Francisco how locked in are you like um
0: well so I feel like I was born for this moment to be honest (laughs) um I I have no problem being inside all day
1: um so there's day. you flip flip the switch to introvert and
0: yeah no it's, it's 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 kind of beautiful there there are moments where i'm like you know maybe i'll go drive around for a little bit just to get some air and then it doesn't happen so <laughs> i told my wife that uh that i'm basically like a vampire
1: well there you go i don't I mean, like you pale enough yeah so. it's true it's so true <laughs> And you probably look good in a tux. Have I seen a tux? Did you wear a tux at your wedding? I was at your wedding. Uh, no, I had a suit and tie. Oh, you need to get need to get a tux if you're going to be the full vampire. The I full mean, Monty? No, that's <laughs> not what I <it> said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I I hear that. Like when this thing got real, I was like. Oh my gosh! I'm going to be locked in with my family.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm going to have to cook and clean 24 seven. And then I was like, "No wait! I actually really like cooking and cleaning." And now I have an excuse. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> now this does mean that my um, the effort I'm putting into my writing and podcasting career is has to be less, um, which is unfortunate. Um, I actually I started a new novel, um, like two weeks before this whole thing went down. Oh, and, wow. you know, I was, I was like, you know, cause I hadn't written one in a while and I was like, I should, I should write, I should write one. Um, and so I was like, you know, I could, I could do like three pages a day, just get up early, write three pages and then get on with the rest of the work I have to do. And I, I can manage that. And then this happened and it's like, Nope, I'm going to be cooking and cleaning and raising babies <laughs> 24 hours a day. And yeah, I mean, like I have enough um, contract work and other stuff like like this podcast that's like, you know, taking up my time that it's like, OK, I'm just not going to finish this novel anytime soon, <laughs> which I only had like, you know, because I'd only been working on it a couple of weeks, writing three pages a mm-hmm. day. So I only had like 20 pages, but um, still, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's going on the old back burner. And I, you know, I don't know. Um which at the moment, I am primarily a podcaster and an author of nonfiction, apparently. That's what people want to promote me as. So whatever, maybe the maybe the novelist career will never happen. Um, and as, I, I can live with that.
0: That's a great philosophical <laughs> say. Just say, just lean into it.
1: Just lean <laughs> into it. Uh, you know, unless <laughs> it is like a boat propeller or something, probably I probably don't. Then. still
0: lean into it. The suffering is I good know. for you.
1: I mean, you know, that's what manatees do, and they're adorable. So it seems to be working for them. I, you know. Should we talk about what we're actually supposed yeah, to talk about?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which we haven't even mentioned. Um, but um we, we want to talk about uh history, right? Yeah. Um, and what you told me, I believe, I don't know how I'm gonna summarize this into good a luck. like a five word title, but we're we're gonna give it the old shot. What you told me was you were originally had issues with quote unquote revisionist history, but you have come around to the realization that all history is revisionist history. Is that, Mm -hmm. yeah, is that how you would put it?
0: Yeah. So, so basically, I would say, I guess you could say I'm pro revisionist history, but that's basically saying I'm pro history. So, yeah, however you want to take it. (laughs)
1: yeah cool 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 so why don't we talk about you a little bit um i mean i gave you a brief intro is there anything you'd like to add to that
0: well who is
1: the real blake collier
0: well no one (laughs) really knows including myself um
1: (laughs) that's deep man that's deep
0: i guess god does um
1: Wow, wow, yeah, you know, save save it for the end of the show when we get well, here,
0: here before too long. Here before too long, I've gotta talk about sex. Then I have brought up politics Let's talk and about sex, so. sex
1: baby. exactly. yeah, let's talk about you and me okay. <laughs> uh, okay I never I never pass up an opportunity to sing salt and Pepper. I just well, I mean who doesn't just not They're amazing. not something you do, not something you do yeah
0: <laughs> so. I come from the Texas panhandle, which is basically the, so basically if you're traveling to Colorado or New Mexico, you pass through Amarillo, which is the center of the panhandle. That's how most people know it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the panhandle is pretty empty compared to a lot of parts of Texas, right? Like all the major cities of Texas are kind of more or less central, right? There's a lot of major cities, but none None out on the pan candle, very few on the coasts. Um so yep. yeah.
0: No, we uh we have about two hundred thousand in Amarillo, and then wow, the surrounding yeah, the surrounding uh towns are anywhere from oh uh, I mean hell, three hundred people to you know, my my hometown, Canyon, Texas, had uh, upwards of eighteen thousand. So Wow, yeah. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a it's a it's a very interesting place to grow up. Uh, you have you know very flat land. The the joke that all Penn people tell is that if you look into the horizon far enough, you can see the back of your own head. And so, because it's so flat and it's so windy, um, we we could win against Chicago in the windy department.
1: Chicago gets
0: gusts, but they don't get mm-hmm. gusts constantly.
1: Yeah, and so. Yeah
0: um yeah it's 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 a it's a very like the land is just very hard the people are very hard um and so it's a very interesting place to grow up and of course it's very conservative um Mm -hmm. and most of the people there voted for the current president and every republican president since reagan Mm -hmm. um and but you get you get the occasional kind of uh rando Democrat or leftist, uh, that, that everyone likes, but they kind of shun them at the same time. And so, (laughs)
2: um,
0: they're they're either the town drunk or, or the town crazy person. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it it was a very strange place to, to, to grow up for me. And, And I found myself, um, kind of being indoctrinated into the world of, you know, conservative talk radio, um, Republican politics, kind of just that small town uh, mentality where you're, mm-hmm. you largely know white people and that's, that's who, you know, and that's what you mm-hmm. know. And, and so you don't get much, um, experience or perspective outside of that very isolated, uh, mentality. And so I grew up with the, the, the mindset that, um, the liberal academia was, attempting to basically uh, brainwash people into believing some of these um, diverting understandings of history or interpretations of history, um, like Mm. feminism or um, reparations and things like this. And so basically like you're already at a, at a cross point, you're saying like all of academia is liberal, which is not true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) It's very much not true. (laughs) Sure. Um, but that's the mindset. And so I grew up listening to Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, Michael Medved, all these people, um, Dennis Prager, you know, name them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, uh, and that's the, that's the life, that's the political life I lived. That's the, that's the mindset I had growing up. And um, I thought that there is one way to do history and any other way. Um, so the one way I, I thought you did history was basically what you, a lot of people would call the great man form of history mm-hmm. like this idea mm-hmm. that that the the victors come in ultimately
1: mm-hmm. and
0: they they change the land or the people for the better mm-hmm. um, and that their vices while they are there they're they're suppressed uh, for the narrative of pr- progress sure and so <clears throat> anything that tried to undermine that or revise that was counter to um, some abstract ideals of what true history was. And so uh, those are the, that's the mentality I kind of grew up in. And that's the mentality that I kind of uh, um, held uh, for a good portion of my life until, you know, midway through undergrad into grad school. So
1: One of the things, um, one of the questions I ask all my guests um, is, you know, would you say you subscribe to that for more of a quote unquote logical reason or more more of a quote unquote emotional reason, Mm -hmm. Um, which is, you know, not a dichotomy. I'm I'm a huge fan of, I've said that before, Um, but I think it's a useful question to an extent. So what what would you say to that?
0: So I would say that, like I I'm I'm like you I'm not a fan of that distinction but it, it is valuable and
1: all my guests say that I want to find someone who is a fan of that distinction <laughs> yeah.
0: well I mean there is someone out there I, I mean I guarantee see people it.
1: I see I see people talking like that yeah. you know like my position is the logical one you're just being emotional like there yeah. there's this huge gap but I I don't know I haven't been able to get anyone who talks like that on my show i guess
0: <laughs> well good luck on finding one cuz they, yeah, they're, they're or, out or, there or,
1: like, or maybe the people who have changed their minds have come around to the realization that there isn't such a distinction. I don't know. You yeah, know, it's but... hard
0: to tell. And
1: anyway, yeah,
0: yeah I uh, <clears throat> I think for me it's it's there, there's a way to see um, one's own kind of behavior and personality and belief system as being the product of a uh, inherited and contextual. Um, logic uh Mm -hmm. in some ways and so whenever i was living in a small town with my parents who are largely republican and Mm -hmm. um there is a logic like there's nothing there are elements of the republican platform and the conservative uh ideology that are very logical um Mm -hmm. the, the thing about logic though and what a lot of people don't it's, it's very convenient for them to forget is that large logic is ultimately driven by authority.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, um, what do you mean th- by that? So in the sense that everyone has, has a presupposition and how they approach mm-hmm. life and, and in what they're aiming to uh, believe or accept as reality. Mm-hmm. And, that drives how we use the tools that we use, including logic.
2: Hmm.
0: Um, and that also drives, and that is both negatively and positively impacted by our emotional makeup, uh, whether good mm-hmm. or bad. And so, <clears throat> um, because I was, I didn't have any outside, uh, perspectives in the small town of Canyon, Texas, uh, it was never questioned it was never challenged mm. and so i didn't mm. i didn't have anything to really uh push back against my my thinking um until I went to college and that's yeah. kind of the the beauty of college in a lot of ways um but it's also why people are afraid of college uh people and you know parents they there there's a fear there that they're going to lose values along with those ideals. But the thing about college is that sometimes the ideals need to be shot down, but that doesn't mean the values will be shot down. And so
2: Hmm.
0: um, there's, I think there's a difference there and, and I think it's key. And um,
1: what do you, what do you mean by you, you're drawing a distinction here between values ideals and, and values. Ideals. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say the difference is between an, an ideal and a value? So a
0: value is, is I would say something that's maybe ethical or moral or okay. uh, maybe re- religious or, uh-huh. um, something that drives your life. That's, that's outside of yourself. Um, I would say an ideal is largely a construct of where you grew up, uh, the people you're around, um, Mm -hmm. political, it's sociological. It's, um, now there's those two things meet at some point, of course, but Mm -hmm. I think it's a, it's a fair distinction to make whenever you're talking about, uh, academia and that academia itself is not going to destroy one's religious faith or one's, moral understanding um Mm -hmm. if it does then that person's religious faith or moral understanding was not strong in the first place and so a lot of especially evangelical culture they like to see academia as opening up a person's mind to all these uh possibly negative ideas to Mm -hmm. trick them into leaving the faith but really like the church hasn't done a good enough job instilling the gospel, the morals, the, the actual faith into their kids. And so on some level, I wouldn't like, it's a backwards way of looking at how we um, understand who's in the wrong here. Hmm. Um, I think the church at the end of the day should always be the first to take the blame uh, for failures of people's, you know, faith journeys, if you want to use that cliched terminology. But nonetheless, I grew up in that. Like I grew up in the in a place where college was was kind of this weird uh, tension of you've got to remain, you know, faithful to the principles of Christianity. And yet you're going to be introduced to all these ideas that could possibly lead you astray and all this stuff. And And I held that like I took that to heart during the first two or three years of my undergrad because you can talk to a bunch of my friends that i lived with at the time and some of the stuff i said was ridiculous <laughs> at the time
1: um well, why don't we get into why don't we get into yeah. that then? Let's, okay let's talk about your let's talk about your uh, your college years your undergrad years okay um, yeah, yeah and we can move on to your your graduate years um so you went to you went to college for undergrad where
0: so I went to uh University of Texas at Arlington. And okay. we hate University of Texas because we were the you know, the redheaded stepchild.
1: Yeah, yeah. Of the system <laughs> so. Yeah, those uh those multi-campus state universities, you know, yeah. never never I, I went to um I went to the University of Nebraska at Lincoln, you know, which is the big Nebraska University, but then there's like three other campuses. There's the university of Nebraska at Kearney, which is like two hours away and nobody goes there except for the kids who can't afford to go to Lincoln. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then there's like a, there's one in Omaha, which is basically a glorified community college. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other one is like, it, it's also in Omaha, but it's like their medical school anyway. um. So yeah, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Um, yeah
0: but it was a i mean it's 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 a great school like i, I actually had more pride in it than i did my my grad school so <laughs> yeah.
1: we'll get to grad school in yeah, a second yeah, yeah. so um you you went to you went to Ar- arlington for um uh to get your bachelor's in history or
0: yes i got my bachelor's in history i started out in architecture i was in architecture school for oh, that's a year and a half
1: quite a so, flip
0: yeah it is and it's funny because I had wanted to be an architect from like the age of five. I think my parents Uh said
1: back when you started playing with Legos. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
0: Uh, Lincoln logs, all that. Yeah. All that stuff. So, um, and I got through a year and a half of, of architecture school and I was just like, man, this is not for me. I don't have the dedication Uh, I was Mm. seeing friends losing sleep to the point where they were cutting themselves with uh, exacto knives. Like it was just,
1: Oh my gosh. I was just
0: like, that's nuts. Like you should not be injuring yourself because you don't have any sleep. (laughs) So I, I had that the semester before I had uh, changed my major. uh, I took a architectural history class and in that class I realized I actually love history more than architecture <laughs> because this was way more fascinating to me than anything else I was learning in all the design principle classes and all and whatever
1: else. Hey, and with history, there's no pressure. Cause you know, you'll never make a living at it. Exactly.
0: Right? Of course, of course <laughs> that's not what I thought at the time. I was like, I can be a teacher. That's fine.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: So, uh, so yeah. So the, that, that semester I, I switched to history and, um, I kind of got brought under the uh, mentorship of a professor there uh, by the name of Elizabeth Cawthon, Dr. Elizabeth Cawthon. Sweetest lady ever. Still to this day, one of my favorite professors. Um, (laughs) She was a pre-law history professor. And so she was constantly trying to get me to go to law school. And mm-hmm. I was like, "Nope, sorry, I got too many scruples. I can't do this." <laughs> so, <laughs> so I settled on her her other love, which was British history. And mm. I got like she was one of those professors that would show up to class and uh, dress up as Queen Elizabeth and do the whole lecture as as Queen Elizabeth. And <laughs> she was she was the shit. So
1: yeah robin williams and dead poet society exactly yeah
0: <laughs> but she wouldn't have done the whole like you know seize the day thing because she didn't believe that but <laughs> 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 she was too she was too practical for that kind of abstraction so sure. um so yeah I, I i kind of i kind of became one of her uh mentees and and she kind of took me under her wing and um uh, I did my honors thesis under her and uh, she was just, she remains someone that I, uh, I look up to in a lot of ways. And so she kind of brought me into that world of history. Does that
1: mean she wasn't one of these evil liberal professors? Oh, she was was deeply,
0: she was deeply liberal,
1: but. Okay. So let's talk about that. I mean, did you react negatively toward her at first when you started working with her or or,
0: what was
1: that like? Was there conflict there?
0: So funny thing is, is that, uh, what the other thing that, that people in like small towns don't realize is that <laughs> there are laws against uh, being a little bit too open about one's politics and or yeah. faith or anything like that in the public square.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: And so on the whole, so you, if you, you listen to... Her,
1: public, public university employees yes. Yeah, yeah, have to keep that stuff to themselves. Okay. Exactly. Got
0: it. And so like, like there's, that's not to say that they're completely, you know, quiet about it, but... When you're a history professor, you can hide it under the guise of teaching history, because guess what? History is interpreted, filtered through every person. It's just the way it goes, unfortunately. So, yeah, you don't really like I, I didn't I didn't go into class like thinking that she was a liberal trying to brainwash me. Um, I, I learned British history from her and, uh, I'm sure she slipped her own understandings uh, and, and interpretations of, of history and things like that into her lectures, but it didn't seem that way to me. Uh, and so, Mm -hmm. um, and really at the end of the day, the thing that actually made the difference is that she actually cared about her students. Mm, Um, yeah. Like she wanted them to succeed, and and that was something that in my architecture school time I did not see, <laughs> and so yeah. uh, it was a f- breath of fresh air for a lot of reasons. And so yeah, I yeah I never really had any issues with her as a as a teacher, you know, with her political views, mainly because at the time I couldn't decipher. What was "quote unquote" liberal from what was "quote unquote" uh, conservative within you the? mean, lectures. all those
1: hours of listening to Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity had nope. Get those two, nope,
0: nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, because guess what? Those guys they only deal in the the high surface issues.
2: <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> and so whenever you actually get into the nuance of of history and sociology mm-hmm. and all these things, it it starts to break down it's hard yeah. to recognize with their with their rhetoric so
1: sure sure okay but earlier you said you know when you were doing your undergrad you were constantly uh, okay maybe maybe i'm misquoting you here you said something about constantly ranting at your roommates about stuff am, yes. am i wrong like, yep. okay so do we want to talk about that some more sure why not yeah. so
0: i said to the uh, here here's an example of something i said uh so i i lived with a, a couple of guys one was in seminary and teaching at a uh a high school nearby and then the okay. other guy was in was going to uta along with me and he is uh indian american um and so like,
1: like east indian like yes in, like
0: yeah I so know. he was actually south indian but uh,
1: but not native american yeah, as well no, right? no, no. like, yeah no 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 yeah no
0: no. no, no. So um and so at one point I said we were talking about because this would have been, let's see, two or three years after nine eleven. Uh-huh. And I said something to the effect of, well, why didn't the people on the plane just like take over the or defend themselves against the terrorist on the plane? Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Something to the effect. It was mm-hmm. really heartless mm-hmm. and didn't have any compassion towards the terror that actually mm. happened on those flights and
1: and yeah, that's why they call them terrorists yeah and exactly they call terror. <laughs> yeah
0: and and this is this was just one of several like things that i just shot my mouth off on uh, uh, throughout the time that i lived with these guys and they would take it in stride like they 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 did not beat me up too much about it but they would they would push back like they mm-hmm. would actually question me on on some of that stuff and and so like I I just had a very like um, had a very black and white mentality when it came to what was good and what was what was righteous and what was like just and and so um, and if if it is good enough for someone on a street corner then it's good enough for someone in a plane with a terrorist <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Um, context didn't matter so mm-hmm. um, yeah it's it was it was weird to to be learning about history and then going home and spouting the stuff that I basically had um, filtered from my own raising and my own kind of uh, brainwashing by yeah. conservative talk radio. So,
1: yeah, it's interesting I, what you said earlier about the quote unquote great man approach mm-hmm. to history, um, which is historically, I feel like that that sort of approach to history is, is, um, associated with kind of romanticism. Mm -hmm. Um, yep. But, you know, which, which is kind of the last thing I would associate in a lot of ways with modern conservatism. But I do think you're right that the great man approach to history does seem to appeal to conservatives. Yes. Um, and I wonder, I don't know, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Mm -hmm. Um, but I hear you saying this about the plane thing and I, you know, I, I wonder if the appeal there is this thought that like, if I were in that situation, I would be the great man. Yes. um,
0: mm-hmm. Very much so. Like that's, that that's part of the mindset and I'm not going to, I'm not going to universalize this, but I, I think sure. for me specifically, what people like Rush Limbaugh and what people like Sean Hannity taught me is that in all things, I could be the great man. I could be mm-hmm. the the hero, the the one who stands up for the the values of of America, whatever that mm. means. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took no account for compassion, uh, yeah. for for the great virtues that even yeah. uh, Socrates talked about. Like it, it did not right. take into any any account those things. Um, it was just about this, and like you said, romanticism of yeah. this long dead um poorly focused chivalry
1: yeah uh, basically yeah. well and i mean that's that's a really interesting point too about the virtues and maybe this is kind of a rabbit trail but the reality is to be a great person who stands up for what is right takes so much effort of cultivating mm-hmm. those virtues and yeah i, I mean if, if there's one thing uh, it, that um, that's anemic about modern conservatism it's, it's that it, it seems completely uninterested in, in culti- cultivating those virtues in people or teaching people to cultivate those virtues mm-hmm. yeah I absolutely agree with that or,
0: or they do and once there is a candidate or an, a <laughs> uh, policy that they need to pass then it, it becomes a political expediency issue well, uh, we'll, yeah, that, we'll we'll forget that uh, for now, <laughs> just so we that. can get this thing passed. So mm. it's it's an inconsistency issue.
1: So here's another question because this is something I've been thinking about a lot, um, and this is another rabbit trail. But do you think this is? Do you think failure to cultivate virtue is a problem endemic to Protestantism? Hmm. Because hmm. so much of Protestantism is saying Jesus did it all, we're done, we're good. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. matter what we do, you know. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it, I mean, obviously, as someone who is still rel- relatively Protestant,
0: <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> me too.
1: <laughs> I haven't jumped ship. I haven't <laughs> jumped ship on on that 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 idea, but you know, at the, at the, same time that tends to set us up to be really bad at improving people.
0: <laughs> well, and, uh, and part of me thinks that, so I think you're on to something there. I, I think that's a, that's a, a valid point to make.
1: And that's why I, I had you on the show because I knew you'll agree with everything I say. Yeah. So.
0: Well, no, I, you and I have very similar perspectives on a lot of things. So, um, but I think, I think you're right to say it's anemic in that Protestants are very forgetful when they talk about the fact that Jesus did it all. But but they forget the all the parts of the Bible where it talks about how love affects change in the hearts mm. of people right. and how it makes them work for the better of their neighbor neighbors. Right. Um,
1: and so. Or the part where Jesus says, "Take up your cross and follow me." Exactly,
0: <laughs> and, and and that's the thing is like that's that's the, that's the problem though with the great man mentality is that if you look at at the words of Jesus, especially, it's great man is at conflict with the suffering of the cross.
2: Mm.
0: It just is yeah. like mm. there's no like that mentality is you have to build yourself up. You have to be the most like politically expedient the most uh surface virtuous person um Mm -hmm. you have to look good in history it's basically celebrity culture but in the long term
1: (laughs) so um yeah well and i mean the other the other thing with that is that you know even if there were these great men in history for every great man there there were literally millions and millions of mediocre men yeah you know yeah. And what do we do? What do we do with them? Right? Like, and, guess, know,
0: and, and guess who voted for a lot of those great men? Well, those yeah, mediocre right. men.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, to, to be a leader, you by definition have to have followers, right? Yep. Like everybody cannot be a leader because then nobody is a leader. <laughs>
0: yep. Exactly.
1: Um, yeah. Okay. Well, let's go on with, let's go on with your story. Um, okay. So you go to grad school. Where, where, where do you go to grad school at?
0: Uh, Texas Tech University. So I went to a really liberal school uh, I have no out idea in I Lubbock, Texas. I'm just, I, I'm just kidding. I know. It's, it's I don't not know any <laughs> <help. Yeah. laughs> No, Sorry. Lubbock, Texas is is about an hour and a half south of Amarillo, and so you it's
1: people. You talk like everybody knows everything about Texas. <laughs> yeah,
0: so that's why I'm explaining it because I recognize yeah. Texas yeah. is big. People still think we we, we ride horses there. Um, so, I mean, some of you do some but (laughs) it's not it's not near what it used to be um so lubbock yes because of the nature of academia you had you do have uh liberal professors there but i mean in the history department that i went to at lubbock or at texas tech it the department was literally like half and half there was basically the liberal professors were the ones doing quote unquote cultural history, and then the conservative professors were the one doing true history. <laughs> and so uh, that's the uh, that's the language that they would use. But I I found myself basically spanning both categories, and, and unfortunately, the politics of academia is that anyone who attempts to straddle the line between conservative and liberal professors is going to pay for it <laughs> because of, uh, office politics. And so, yeah, yeah. um, you, we had a lot of that go on for anyone who was trying to learn about history from both sides. Um,
1: mm-hmm. that's really interesting. So there, there's kind of these two clicks in the faculty yeah. there. Or, huh? Oh yeah. And, okay. and sometimes,
0: and it wasn't, it wasn't completely along political lines, but it, it largely was. Um, okay. There's, there's different forms of history. One is more like your typical straight-laced, like uh, these are the facts kind of history. Uh-huh. And then there's the cultural or the sociological history that looks at, okay, here are the big um, mindsets of, of cultures going into these different periods. Uh, how did those bigger movements affect people at the time? So they mm-hmm. were, you could say that a cultural history is, is a grassroots history. Uh, it's looking at the at the people on the ground and then seeing how their effect changed uh, policy. Right. So, right. whereas the more traditional history is top down, um, mm-hmm. and so
1: you so look at exactly, yeah,
0: exactly. So, um, yeah, but it was it was fascinating because if you went to different classes, you would find you know basically you're getting a different perspective uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> from. Like I I was a TA for a Vietnam War professor. He
2: mm-hmm. was a
0: Vietnam vet. He was largely mm-hmm. conservative. Mm-hmm. But even he was like, Yeah, we did some pretty crummy things back in those days. <laughs> like like <laughs> he was not he he was honest enough with himself to recognize that like we weren't perfect. Um mm-hmm. and, sure. and I think that's that's what delineated if, if there's if they couldn't see it that in themselves, what made the department whole? was that they were all aware enough to recognize the faults of their own uh, historical viewpoints. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is that is what grad school history is about. It's not about facts. It's about how do we, how do we read history? And because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. most of the time, what we would do is we would read a book by a historian about mm-hmm. whatever subject the class was about. And we would come to class and we would talk about what are the axes being grinded here?
1: What are the biases?
0: <laughs> like, what are the what are the elements of this book that we could actually take away and say, yeah, this is this is this is based on primary sources largely. Um, secondary sources, if they're um, contemporary at the time, then that was a little bit more a little bit more pertinent uh, mm-hmm. to the issue uh we would go down this list of like things that we look for in each book and right. we would break down what the making of history looks like. And mm-hmm. you would f- that's why I came out of the grad school saying all history is revised mm-hmm. through the filter of the historian. Right. Um and, and that's why I, I have this very strong idea that just like with uh logic or you know what, what, are, what, are, whatever other systems, yeah, you want to put out there. It, it de- depends on authority, what you hold as the highest authority, and what guides how you interpret and what you, how you process information. Right. And so, I kind of went like, it's a pretty, it's it's a weird, it's a weird change of mind mm-hmm. because it's not really the opposite because it's hmm. more just like recognizing that there is actually no such thing as revisionist history and the conservative lingo. Yeah. There is history. And whenever you get to the point where you understand history and the, the, the nature of the beast,
2: mm-hmm. you
0: recognize that it is revisionist yeah. <laughs> by its very yeah. nature. Yeah. And because every person is unique, every person has a different lens. Every, every person reads the primary sources, the secondary sources and and lays down a narrative or an interpretation that uh, allows them to piece together this massive jigsaw puzzle right into a whole and so yeah yeah that's kind of what i came around to <laughs> yeah
1: i um i forget the author of this book um i read it God, almost 20 years ago but have you heard of lies my teacher told me yeah it's a uh, james lowen yeah james lowen yeah is it Kind of a terrible, um, faux-provocative title for the book, but uh, it's really a very good book. It
0: is a very good book. He's a very Um, good author.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I guess I don't need to tell you this because you've clearly read it.
0: Well, no, so Um, I haven't read that one. I've read his other book, uh, Sundown Towns.
1: Okay. Yeah, um, so what I mean, his main point in the book was, um, you know, we've done this terrible job um, at the high school level of really... Communicating to kids what history as a discipline actually is, yeah, um, by just making them memorize lists of names and dates and facts, mm-hmm. um, you know, and he, you know, he gets into the the whole bias thing as well. But um, his his main point is, you know, we need to teach kids about the discipline of history and about the historical method. Which is you know examining the evidence available and, to try you know crafting arguments yeah. for how to understand this.
0: No, I mean I, I think that's key, and and so here's here's where I kind of connect where I was raised and and what I used to believe with where I am now
2: mm-hmm. is
0: the one thing that that to my parents' credit, while I disagree with them on a lot of things now politically. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that I will always hold dear that they really instilled in me was the, the uh, idea of critical thinking. Hmm. My, my dad was so, if, if you learn nothing in life, it Hmm. was to critically think about things, not to take anything for granted. Um, Hmm. Now, did he expect that to lead me to more leftist politics?
2: Mm, (laughs) No, No,
0: no, of course not. Uh, no, no parent believes that, but, mm-hmm. um, but I think there is a even even now. If if he was still able to uh, to talk to me, he would be like, you know what? Uh, I have a grudging respect for it because <laughs> at least you've thought about it. You've you've done the work. You've you've spent time reading on this. You've spent time uh, arguing in your own head. Mm -hmm. Uh, these issues and and you know what you believe and and so yes i don't agree with you at all (laughs) matter of fact you might be satan but (laughs) but i i I respect that you've done the work and so um
1: you're satan but i respect you
0: (laughs) exactly i mean sympathy for the devil right
1: yeah
0: um Yeah. yeah so i think weirdly enough like my parents actually planted the seed that carried uh, carried me through and I just took it to heart in a different way than they expected and so mm-hmm. um, because history is is a living thing it's mm-hmm. it's it's very it's it's a it's a subject I really love and and I hate the fact that high schools uh, refuse to put anyone but seemingly coaches. Uh, in that spot. (laughs) Now, now I'm not going to wholesale say that coaches are not good history teachers because of, there are a few that I know that are actually really good history teachers. Yeah. Yeah. But on the whole, (laughs) they're filling a spot. So (laughs) uh,
1: yeah, well, and I mean, mean, the obvious analogy here would be to science, right? Where if you take a high school science course they have you doing experiments in class. They teach you the scientific method of gather mm-hmm. data, formulate hypothesis, et cetera. You don't really do that in the average high school science course. They just, they give you a book and they say, memorize the names, memorize the dates. They don't yep. teach you how to engage with primary sources. They don't teach you how to formulate arguments. They don't teach you the historical method. Yeah. Um, they treat history as just this list of facts that everybody knows and you need to know it. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't know, like, what's the solution there? I mean, <laughs> I think about this book lies my teacher told me. You know, yeah. it's been some awards. It sold pretty well. It came out a quarter century ago. Now, um, obviously, it didn't make that much of a difference um, in the way history is taught in schools. Yeah. I I don't know. I, I do. Do you see? Do you see any hope on the horizon for that that sort of thing? Or.
0: Um unfortunately not anytime I mean, probably like, in my lifetime
1: that's what common core was supposed to be was yeah. teaching kids to engage with texts and stuff but then we all decided that common core was evil because obama got behind it and, <laughs> of course <laughs> yeah I, uh, I, I i don't know i i yeah. well so
0: so i can i can say that that one aspect that would be doable as far as in the realm of change for curriculum in high school history and below you know really any kind of you know k through 12 history Mm. would be to uh shift the way textbooks are written Um, as i don't know if you know this but a good portion of textbooks for the nation are written out of uh, out of texas yeah so Um, which is not a safe thing.
1: (laughs) Texas picks like one history book that schools have to use statewide. Right. Yeah. Which is so weird to me, which is so weird to me. I, you know, I grew up in Nebraska, um, which has this, it's, it's a, it's very different from, I mean, it's, it's quote unquote conservative on the whole, but it's, it's so different from how the South is, right? Like it's it's Mm -hmm. very, it's a very communitarian kind of soft libertarian kind of conservatism. And literally every history teacher can just pick whatever textbook they want in in Nebraska, you know? So when I, when I found out this thing about, which I probably learned from reading lives, my teacher told me when I found out that Texas uses one book for the whole state, you know, and it's picked by the board that has no actual historians on it, I was like, what?
0: Yeah. What you know, is it's, that? It's insane. Yeah. Um, and and so here's here's the other thought I have about that is I, I don't know. Like, of course, I haven't looked a, at a textbook in you know, oh Lord, twenty some <laughs> odd years at this point. Yeah, and so um, I don't know if this has changed and it might it might have changed. But my biggest problem with textbooks, looking back is that you're basically teaching students that secondary sources are the key
2: mm-hmm. because
0: yeah. largely the primary sources are, are kept to these little interstitial like pages in between yeah. chapters. Yeah. And that is, that's not history. Like mm. your, your goal, like the thing you learn in grad school about history is that the more primary sources you can, you can find that if that you can kind of gather information from Mm
2: -hmm. yeah.
0: the more, I I don't want to say accurate because history is not a science. (laughs) It's it's, it's, it's an art. And so um, the more complete a picture you can, you can uh, you can gain so that you can piece together that puzzle and get a picture from it. Um, And, while secondary sources are super helpful, uh, as far as like helping you kind of, like, if you look back at like 1500s England,
2: mm-hmm. reading
0: their writing in the primary sources, it's not the easiest thing. There's a lot of language that has changed over the years that
2: right. yeah.
0: meanings have changed all the stuff. So secondary sources are helpful in that, but you don't rely on them solely. And what textbooks do is they say, guess what kids? Real, just, just don't worry about going back to the actual sources themselves. Rely on the people that know what they're talking about, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. who don't <laughs> actually know what they're talking about, as you said. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, Well, in devil's advocate for a second, I think there is there certainly is a place for memorizing names and dates. Oh, right? for sure. Like, yeah, you yeah. Need that, you need that basic framework of understanding history to mm-hmm. engage with primary sources at all. Yeah, I think it just like, need
0: to be a little more balanced,
1: right? Yeah,
0: yeah, because man, I, I tell you what, I was a, as a TA uh, teaching, you know, basically 18, 19 year olds.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, there was they just had no understanding of of how history was was put together. Sure, they could tell you like facts and stuff like that, but but when I asked them questions like. Okay, so you, you know about Columbus in 1492. Do you understand the concepts around exploration, the, the doctrine of discovery, uh, what it means to claim land uh,
2: mm-hmm.
0: that had already been inhabited? Yeah. Uh, what, are, what are the legal ramifications? What are the philosophical ramifications? Like each class, I would have to find a, a different way to approach the students because each class is a little bit different. Some are a little bit more engaged and they want to like get into the the harder stuff. And so I would Mm -hmm. go deeper for them and others. They just want, they're just there to get the grade and that's fine too. Um, I get it. There are classes that I didn't care about either. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, and so, yeah, it just, just the ability to have at least a little bit more preparation uh, going into college is helpful Mm -hmm. and that's Mm -hmm. for all courses that's not just history
1: so out of curiosity do you feel like your undergrad experience gave you a pretty good handle on the historical method or was that not in grad school okay yeah
0: yeah i would say so so i mean if you're if you're talking about your just your general american and world history classes probably Mm -hmm. not you're you're basically doing what you did in high school right um but if you go further into um some of those historical classes you start to see while it's geared more towards giving you a, a timeline for whatever period of history you're studying. Yeah. They're starting to show you there. You're largely reading primary sources. Mm-hmm. You're, you're largely understanding that these are the, these, not only is this the viewpoint for, from, um, those in power, but here mm. are the, here are the perspectives of the people who are, you know, working the land or, uh, tending to um the gestures and the knights mm. or mm. whatever it may be like whatever period of history and so you would get a good like rounded understanding of different perspectives sure. you started to break down that that very simplistic idea that that everything is as the history is written <laughs> uh <laughs> Not everything that that the government puts out there is one hundred percent true. It's it's gonna right.
1: make things look good. What? <laughs> so,
0: not everything that the the victor puts out there is going to be true. <laughs> so,
1: Are you saying I can't fully trust my government? What? Yeah,
0: I know it's crazy, huh? <laughs> uh yeah, so it's it, it, it's it's great, beautiful government. Oh, absolutely.
1: Man. Fabulous government. Everyone says so.
0: <laughs> like the the biggest and the best government ever.
1: <laughs> very bigly.
0: Yeah, very bigly. So yeah, it's, I, th- I think it's more of an issue of of just balance. Like yeah. it's not until grad school that you start to actually get into the full process of history. But even undergrad, if you go past the general kind of uh, history courses, you're going to get a more balanced understanding of what history is. So yeah,
2: yeah.
1: I'm wondering if we want to get into the weeds on this. Let's Um, go for it. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me if, tell me if this is a good idea or if this would be totally boring and everyone's eyes would glaze over. Can you give me a concrete example of some historical reality you've studied that you used to have a very set in stone opinion of, and then turned around to realize that every account of it is, you know, someone's perspective
0: okay um, yeah right off the bat uh, sure. this is a, this is a touchy subject uh, especially for Americans um, but because what I was a, American. <laughs> but because I was a British historian I uh, learned about how the British Empire worked um, mm-hmm. that was my that was my area it was 1800s largely British imperialism mm-hmm. and so I studied the whole of the British Empire I would read uh, various Sort, you know, primary and secondary sources on the subject and part of that was talking about how the Americans revolted against the British um, mm. and I remember growing up being just absolutely in love with the history of the American Revolution mm. just this like grand like yeah we really stuck it to those guys <laughs> we yeah we, we said we ain't gonna do this no more so and then we uh threw tea in the in the in the harbor and and war started and so and then we uh we got our independence and so like i i at the time i truly loved the story that was being told to me and Mm -hmm. while there are facts involved in that like there's it's not it's not a lie Mm -hmm. there are elements of truth that are in that narrative but it's still a narrative and Mm -hmm. so when i started to broaden my perspective and seeing the british empire at the time that the american revolution happened they were they were already starting to feel the weight of a of the economic burden of holding so many uh, geographic locations under sure. the the uh rule of the monarch yeah and so yes they made some really crappy decisions when it came to representation and things like that. But guess what? I don't care what your history teacher tells you. You had a representation. <laughs> Just as what? much uh, in that, in that you had, you had uh, members of parliament who were actually on your side that were saying, no, we need to res- respect the, the wishes of, of the colonies in America
1: so by um, representation you mean sympathizers
0: <laughs> sympathizers but they actually had pull like yeah. they had power inside the parliament and right. and parliament doesn't work quite the same way as the senate and the house of reps does here yeah, um, yeah. and so there was there yes it was it was not the majority for sure mm-hmm. um but there was representation in in the sense that you know, really people have representation now. I mean, do I feel represented by my senators or <laughs> re- representatives? Not really. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I didn't even feel that way when I was a re- like hardcore Republican. Um, mm. So yeah, I, I started to see that, that the bigger picture shows you that there's more than just one side to that story that yes, part of the reason why um The Americans revolted was there was a lot of unfair taxes being, um, you know, levied against them. That's completely true. Um, Mm -hmm. But same time, England was also in the moment running a third of the world.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and so. Well, well there, the North American colonies were some of the least profitable they owned. Exactly.
0: And and, and one of the states was was a was a penal colony. So yeah, yeah. um yeah, it was it was not it was not terribly profitable. But also like they they started to realize that we just don't have the focus. We don't have the space, we don't have the resources to yeah. to really fight. If we had if they had actually had a smaller empire and the Americans had revolted and they could have diverted a lot of their army and their and their military force towards america i don't yeah. think we would have won
1: no i mean but
0: because their military was spread out so thin all over the world yeah i mean there's just there's just it's it's not simple and that's right. that's the thing that i started to learn as as like narratives are important for national identity mm-hmm but at the same time to lean too hard into that national identity and understand that and and to believe that that's that's the simple truth and that there is no other there's no nuance to that and that there's no um glossing over uh facts and primary source and things like that is problematic and not, right. not to question your national identity your your national story is 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 deeply problematic
1: sure yeah so yeah i mean you know i th- i think people know this like from even just day to day life like if i were to sit down and tell you a story about something that happened to me mm-hmm. like i would very deliberately pick and choose which events oh, yeah. like i was telling you like i wouldn't tell you like every second of every day like exactly and i I brushed my teeth and then i took a shower it was a 20 minute like you don't tell a story like that you pick and choose the important facts Mm -hmm. that are important to the narrative you're you're sharing with people um yeah that is the
0: act of doing history
1: right right (laughs) I mean, no no matter how much detail you go into an account, there is always more detail you could have gone into. There is always more complicating facts you could have included, Um, and that's why history theses tend to be like ten thousand pages long, or whatever. Exactly, (laughs) there is always more to be said. There is always more. Um, I don't know if you um, if you've ever if if you are familiar at all with the um, the YouTube channel Extra Credits. No, No, never heard of it. It's a really interesting channel. Um, because what what they started out doing was like they would do like short six minute videos about game theory, like video game theory. Um that was their thing originally. And then they just decided to branch out randomly and do other stuff. So they started doing a series called Extra History. Oh, nice. uh, Where they just talk about historical events. Um, because the guy who writes the scripts for the channel um, he he works in the games industry, but he his um uh, his uh, degrees are actually in classics, you know. So he's pretty knowledgeable about this stuff. Really gets into just um you know writing these these history videos, um and um you know so they'll they'll do like they, they do like six minute videos, but you know for big events they'll break it up into you know as many as a dozen of those
0: like a series you know? basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
1: they'll be like the. Zulu Rebellion part one, two, three, four, five or whatever, but then when they're, when they're done with the series, they always do like a 20 minute dump um, (laughs) of just this guy talking to the camera, like the writer for the show talking to the camera and they call it like the Zulu Zulu Rebellion colon lies, you know, (laughs) and what what he does, you know, it's the writer for the show just talking to the camera and he's, you know. um, He's, he's literally just going into here's all the stuff we had to gloss over to fit that into 20 minutes, you know.
0: Oh, that's beautiful.
1: Because um, there's just always so much, so much that needs to be nuanced, um, and that's just the way storytelling is. Like you have yeah. to gloss over things, um, especially if you have any sort of time constraints, you know. Well, uh,
0: and 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 that's the thing is like the part of telling telling a good narrative is to first research and understand what you're telling first Mm -hmm. and then finding the best way to coalesce all that information into a story. Right. That is, that is everyone's history book. That's, that's the, like, that's the ideal is you do, you put in, you know, a couple of years of, of research into a subject and then you find a way to easily tell that story so that people have an understanding or they're, they're made aware of right. something that they didn't know before so yeah.
1: and those of us who are writers know that all writing is synthesis oh right? easily yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean <laughs> if, if we're just parroting back what we found then we're not actually doing anything um i mean know, all writing
0: all, is plagiarism it's just really fun. good plagiarism. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But it's synthesis, right? Like, you, don't, you know, you, yeah. look, you look at all these sources and you don't, you don't like say everything in every source you pick and choose what serves your purposes as a writer. Yeah. Um, and that's just, that's just what it is, you know? Yeah. Um,
0: I mean, still to this day, whenever I'm writing a piece for, for whatever it may be, you know, whatever site um, I'll have this grand narrative in my head. I'm like, this is going to be such a great article, blah, blah, blah. And then I'll come across some information. I'm like, well, that just shot it to hell. Like, ruined <laughs> <laughs> the entire thing <laughs> I was going to say. Well, on to the next thing. <laughs> yeah.
1: Hey, you know, if, if the facts don't fit the theory, change the facts. Right? Exactly. That's, That's right. My, my approach to life. That's the um, uh, Western way.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, all right, so how would you say your uh, your life has changed since your beliefs changed?
0: Um, to be honest, uh, probably the biggest thing was uh, I got into more uh, theoretical arguments with my parents and family <laughs> members. Um, and then on top of that, I, I started paying more attention to uh, voices that were not heard um, in those timelines. Um, mm, yeah. I started searching out those those people that you know their voices were not made known um Mm -hmm. there's records um and for whatever reason uh this is this is the indictment of the of kind of this old school form of history and this great man history is that those voices get silenced a lot of times and Mm -hmm. sometimes the most fascinating stories come from those voices um and so as someone who likes both history and story, um, I find that I am drawn to hearing from those people that uh, didn't have political cachet uh, of of the people that are are well known uh, in in the in the annals of history. so um, for me, just seeking out uh, different stories and seeking out the stories of of um, those silenced voices voices has been a super beneficial element for me. Uh, and it's kind of opened my brain to a lot of creative avenues and, um, because I largely don't write about history anymore, uh, unless it's like history of film. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but in my mind, I'm, I'm always thinking about how history affects us and what those narratives do and what memory does. And so, how that affects our present day, and and I like to think that opening myself up to those counter examples, uh, those counter voices, uh, is giving me a a broader understanding of both national and world history, um, and I I just appreciate that. So,
1: all right, and finally, aside from your new beliefs themselves, what would you say you learned from the experience of changing your mind?
0: Um that the mind is pretty fluid <laughs> when it comes to uh what we believe. Uh it's hmm. it's pretty dependent. Like if it wasn't for the fact that I, I had religious affiliations, I would probably be a fatalist. Um because I'm, I'm I mean pretty you're a
1: that's basically yep. the same thing, right? Well
0: and and I'm probably not near as much Calvin, near as Calvinist as I used to be. But yeah. um yeah I I basically I see a lot of the 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 articles around like genetics and biology and stuff like this, and the more I read about you know psychology and stuff like that, I'm just like, man, there isn't no such thing as free will. What are you people <laughs> talking about? um and so <laughs> there's I think for me it's just recognizing that in in a world where I personally believe there's a there's a creator um mm-hmm. he's he loves me enough to 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 know that what is unhealthy for me he can shift that um through people through context uh through history classes through whatever it may be um i guess you could say it's a form of sanctification (laughs) so um which is a theological term but um yeah yeah i kind of view it that way like i just learned that that we as humans are are pretty fickle um, and that it doesn't, it doesn't take a whole lot to make us change our minds. Um, it's just that it takes us a long time to admit to changing our minds.
1: <laughs> that's, that's a really interesting way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you know how it goes. Cause I know you listen to the show. Oh, I do. Uh- <laughs> End of every episode we get deep, we get philosophical um i want to poke at these questions even if we never figure them out of uh you know how do we know truth how do we know ourselves mm-hmm. um so blake what is identity does everyone <laughs> have an identity how do you know your identity what do you think
0: well i believe it's a, a film from the early 2000s with john cusack no just kidding um it is but that's not what i'm gonna how many
1: answer. how many degrees is it removed from kevin bacon that's the real question
0: Uh, that's gonna have to take me a little bit to to figure that one out. So no. Um, so identity for me, like, so there's a, there's a book, uh, the author, and he used to be the editor for Christianity today. Uh, Mm. Andy Crouch wrote a book on culture and he, he basically writes that, that there's no, there's not a singular monolithic culture. There's a bunch of cultures Mm. around a person that, uh, basically envelope every person in a way that these multitudes of cultures reflect that person and and what that person like
1: intersectionality, which is evil. Oh yeah, it is evil.
0: That's it's, it's also socialist (laughs) and that's bad. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's one of those things like part of me thinks that identity in a sense, like I could give you the, the, the pastor, um, thing, which I believe, that Mm -hmm. we're given our identity through Christ. Um, But I also think that there's a multitude of identities that kind of, uh, that come under that as well, that Mm -hmm. I am, I'm the son of Rodney Collier. I'm the son of Peggy Collier. I'm the, I'm the son of Panhandle of Texas in the sense that I grew up in a context unlike you or um, (laughs) some of my other friends. And so.
1: Wait, you're from uh, Texas and your mom's name is Peggy. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs>
0: you're welcome, Great. Peggy. Peggy Sue, know us. Wow,
1: um, ain't yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, you no doubt. Much Bobby Hill, aren't you?
0: You yeah, pretty much. You're like
1: <laughs> one weird liberal kid from the small Texas town.
0: I used to, I used to walk, uh, I used to watch, uh, I used to work at Barnes and Noble, and <laughs> uh, and one of my my managers used to call me, uh, uh, um, what's the dad's name? Uh, Hank. Hank he used to call me Hank Hill because <laughs> I was like he's like I'm just waiting for you to talk about propane that's all I'm <laughs> and propane say, related accessories
1: <laughs> I won't say you don't look like Hank Hill
0: it's true I do yeah <laughs> and so uh that's that's my natural camouflage uh, it's, it's what what's it's what makes people uh like me uh, until they find out what I actually believe <laughs> so um yeah, they think, oh, this guy, this guy will talk to me about, you know, capitalism and propane. <laughs> oh, crap, he voted for Bernie?
1: That's weird. <laughs> I sell socialism and socialism accessories.
0: I bleed red. <laughs> and I mean the communist type. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Along with white and blue.
0: Yeah, exactly. So... <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I think I think while while I do take my own personal full identity in and my religious faith, um, I would say that that people are a are a composition of multiple identities um, mm. underneath that. Um, mm. I mean, if you're not a believer in, in in God or or Christ, then then those identities are your being um, that multitude, and so um, that's that's how I view it there's a, there's once again, authority that kind of tames all those other, uh, underlying contexts. Hmm. So,
1: all right. Second, what is human nature? Are we all the same deep down? Are we all different? Are we all blank slates? What do you think?
0: The best explanation of human nature I've ever heard came from the author Francis Spufford, okay. He's a English author. And he wrote a book called um, Unapologetic. That's the name of it.
1: Oh, yeah, I read Unapologetic.
0: Yeah, and he, he called it the human propensity to fuck things up. <laughs> uh, he shortened it to just the acronym, which was hilarious as he's yeah. writing that chapter. Um, and
1: it, it was camel case and everything. With yeah, the, exactly,
0: yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so um, I love that because I, while I am largely a fatalist in a lot of ways (laughs) i think human nature is pretty much pretty jacked up in a lot of ways um i still hold a lot of hope and it's weird to be in that space um because i believe that that while we're not you know perfect by any means um like the bible says even our good deeds are like filthy rags uh Mm. i mean it's it's probably the most identifiable aspect of calvinist teaching is human depravity. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Uh it's it's really easy to see that in in everyday life and I'm married to a social worker and she sees it every single day. Mm-hmm. Um and it's not and it's not because these people are devils. It's mm-hmm. it's because they came from brokenness. And so generations of brokenness breed even more brokenness. I mean, the sins of the father visit upon the children, you know, yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's not something to be harsh and without compassion towards it's, mm-hmm. it's something to be viewed and recognize your own capabilities of doing those same things in yourself. Mm-hmm. And so human nature for me is something that I, I see in myself as I see in others, and so I have compassion for others, just like I hopefully have compassion for myself.
1: <laughs> and so, yeah, I don't think I could do the social worker gig. Like, yeah, I, couldn't either. Being I couldn't either. By people over and over again. Oh man,
0: it's 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 brutal, and it's it's kind of like one of my original jobs was you know, cleaning up rental properties.
1: Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> I mean,
0: you you have very. I mean, it's 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 weird because I even started noticing it myself, but my parents for landlords, uh, some might call them some lords, but <laughs> landlords, they were pretty kind and they were pretty lenient when it came to letting people, you know, hold off on paying rent until like next month or whatever it may yeah. be. But even they got super cynical. Over the years, and, and yeah. I could see it in myself as I worked on rental properties. Uh, I yeah. could see that resentment building up, and so, um, yeah, the service industry man, uh, it's it's a good thing that I don't do that. <laughs> so, no kidding, no kidding. How do you fight
1: that if you do a gig like that? I don't know. I,
0: I don't know. I, my wife has a heart of gold, so I don't know how she does it.
1: <laughs> I mean, for the Same reason I I couldn't be a cop, you know, dealing with criminals, seeing oh, yeah. the worst of people. Like I just, I, I like the small amount of news that I pay attention to. Like that's enough for me. Mm-hmm.
2: You know? and oh I, yeah.
1: I have to do something else with my brain because I just I I don't want to I don't want to go through life thinking people are just terrible, but maybe they are. I don't know
0: yeah Uh well i mean they're not not terrible
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah so the answer so the answer to what is human nature is people are terrible yes okay
0: or at least they or or at least they have a huge propensity to fuck things up
1: yes (laughs) all right and finally what is truth how do you know truth? How do you know when you found truth? What do you think?
0: I, I always feel bad for each of your guests when they get to this question. Like <laughs> even even as, even as I'm listening to your guests struggle with this question, I know like in my head I'm like, yeah, I would struggle with it too.
1: Well, um your turn to struggle.
0: <laughs> because I could just give you the easy, like felt bored Jesus answer. Yeah, yeah. And it'd be fine. You, but
1: you were in seminary for a while. Did you did you get a degree out of seminary or
0: Oh no, I, I took about A year and a half of online seminary, okay, and then I quit. Found out that maybe Jesus wasn't wasn't calling me to be a (laughs) be a ministry person. I mean, service, right? Service uh, industry.
1: I mean, (laughs) the pastorship is right up there with with you know jobs where people just disappoint you every day.
0: (sighs) Exactly. So (laughs) I was like, I, I saw the writing on the wall, and I was like, Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. So I think from from my perspective, truth is, I believe in an objective truth, but I also believe that our ability to recognize the fullness of that and to grasp the fullness of it is simply impossible on the side of the veil. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of what I see as truth is more of the, grasping for truth like the Mm. the search for truth um and i'm not one of those people that's going to say you've got your own truth while i recognize that there is a valid argument to that uh phrase it's cliched and a lot of people who use it are are not using in a in a good way i think
2: Yeah. yeah
0: um but i would say that that truth is i mean I believe personally that it's 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 marred or it's a it's it's buried in the in the history and the the being of a God and his son and the spirit Hmm. and the human ability to recognize that is flawed and even our tools at searching for truth are flawed because the world is broken and sometimes because the world is broken even if we got to a point where we could under like see part of the truth, it would still be cracked,
2: Hmm.
0: um, on the side of the veil. And so we're, we're at a huge dis disadvantage on understanding what truth is. Um, but once again, (laughs) authority, its key. (laughs) Like it's, uh, the more I got into history, the more, uh, and I don't want to say I'm authoritarian because that has, a lot of baggage but uh there's an element like I, i've said for for about five six years now that that once you recognize your high the, the highest authority all other authorities is negotiable
2: hmm.
0: and so for me that is my faith that's that's the god of jacob abraham and isaac and so hmm. um that's what guides my search. Um, that's not necessarily what guides anyone, everyone else's search. And Mm -hmm. hopefully they're finding, um, truth through whatever means that they, they do, but that's, that's the authority on which I lay my laurels. So. (laughs) Sure.
1: Yeah. I, I think anyone who does any serious interest introspection will eventually find their way to kind of, you know, the Cartesian solipsism of, I don't know anything is real except my consciousness, Yeah, you know, and then you have to go from there to be like, well, how do I know anything? You know, how do I know anything is good? How do I know anything is true? Mm -hmm. How do I know I can trust my own senses? How do I know I can trust these sources? You know, and I, I don't know, like for me, once, once you get there, it's like, you either end up at total nihilism or you just yeah. have to assume some sort of deity, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like if there, if there is no ultimate source of truth, then you really can't know anything. Um,
0: and while I love the, the cojones on uh, Camus for just accepting the absurdity of <laughs> all this, yeah, no one can live like that. Not even Camus. <laughs> If I had talked to him at the end of his life, I can guarantee you he would have been on one side or the other. <laughs> so,
1: well, you know, Camus can do, but Sartre is Sartre. <laughs> <Yeah>,
0: that's right. <laughs> 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 oh.
1: Oh man. All right. Well, let's wrap things up. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show, Blake. Yeah, it was fun. Um, Especially at short notice, you know, when, when I have guests cancel on me, I just bug my friends basically.
0: (laughs) I'm good with that. I'll take it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It is always a pleasure to talk to you. I'm, you know, we haven't actually talked like talk, talked in a while. So I'm glad. Yeah. It's
0: been a while. Yeah. It's it's been good.
1: Uh, Yeah. Um, before you go, got anything to plug?
0: Um, like you said at the beginning of the podcast, uh, 88 names podcast. Um, I believe the third episode is coming out, uh, tonight sometime, hopefully. Um,
1: and we didn't really talk about what it's about. It's, um, it's you and Matt Ruff looking at all the different angles on virtual reality, which is pretty cool
0: and kind of developing technology. And, and we have different guests. We have like, you know, uh, corporate heads. We have, uh, authors who talk about, um, Immersion theater, things like that. Uh, so it's it's a very it's there's some fascinating uh, kind of turns that are taken uh, during some of the conversations that I think are are, are a delight. So,
1: and of yeah. course it's um it's promoting his new novel, like not Blake's novel, Matt's novel. Yeah, um, Matt's novel sounds like kind of a cyberpunk jam, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, it's a fun little novel. It's it's deeply funny and it it brings up a lot of really good questions. I think so. Right.
1: All right. Anything else? Um, real real world theology, R-E-E-L-L. No, sorry. Yep. R <laughs> I, yep. I can't spell real sometimes. R-E-E-L. <laughs> um, uh,
0: that, yeah. And then Rise Up Daily. I write for various other places, but you can find all my work at BlakeICollier.com. Um, if you want to listen to my random ramblings on Twitter, you can find me at Lost in Osmosis. But yeah, that's about it.
1: All right, well, thanks so much. This has been Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington. You can find me on Twitter at Luke T. Harrington or just go to my website, luketharrington.com. I will see you next time. Again, I saw that under the sun... The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. That's uh, from the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible, uh, traditionally attributed to King Solomon, along with um, the book of Proverbs. And I keep uh, coming back to that in my thoughts, because it stands in such sharp contrast to a lot of the material you find in Proverbs. Um, much of Proverbs is praising hard work, promising results for hard work. Um, and yet in Ecclesiastes right there, it says, you know, hard work, intelligence, strength is no guarantee of anything. Um, you can work as hard as you want and, well, it might make success more likely, it is no guarantee of success. Um, I've just been thinking about that a lot um, ever since the conversation with Blake that, um, you know, so much of American culture is in love with this idea of the great man that we can all be the great man or presumably woman if we work hard enough. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily true. Um, and I see this attitude everywhere. Um, I remember reading an article, you know, during one of the many pointless national debates we have about education. Um, and I I think it was decrying, you know, common standards like common core and stuff. And it was like, well, none of this stuff matters if we, if kids can just have great teachers, um, And I was like, yes, maybe that's true. But at the same time, most kids won't have great teachers. Um, Just the law of averages says that, right? Like the definition of great is exceptionally good. And the vast majority of people are average by definition. The vast majority of teachers are going to be average by definition, um as i said for every great man there are literally millions and millions of mediocre men Um, every time walmart (laughs) gets criticized um, i think fairly there's a lot to uh, dislike about walmart but every time walmart gets criticized you see people jump up and say well you're just jealous of their success If you were worked as hard as Sam Walton, you could be a billionaire owner of a big box store chain. And, you know, let's assume that's true. Let's assume that everybody who works as hard as Sam Walton will become the president of a large chain of big box stores. But even if that is the case, the problem with that is that the very existence of Walmart depends on this enormous underclass of people who are willing to work for $7 an hour to stock their shelves. Um, If everybody owned a chain of big box stores, there would be no one to work them. Um, And for that matter, no one to shop at them. And ultimately that I think is the real problem with America's approach to economics is we're in love with this idea of the great man. And we kind of ignore that for every great man, there has to be literally thousands and thousands of mediocre men supporting his endeavor. Right. Um, We talk about, um, in the tech era, we talk about people like Steve Jobs and how we want our kids to be the next Steve Jobs or whatever. Um, And Steve Jobs was great, sure, but he never actually knew much about programming or engineering um, or marketing for that matter. He was just a guy who was really good at coming up with ideas for products that he thought people would want. And without thousands and thousands of people working for him, none of those things would have happened. Um, And, you know, if you don't like Apple products, you can insert whichever quote unquote great man you like in that equation. But the point is that the... The great, the quote unquote great, depend on the mediocre for their greatness. And that's just something to think about. Um, We pour so much effort uh, in this country into trying to make people the best of the best of the best, um, when by definition almost nobody gets there. Um, maybe we should focus more on taking the pretty good, making them really good because there's so much talent (laughs) to be drawn from in the upper third, you know, maybe we should focus more on giving meaning and a sense of purpose to the ones who are in the bottom third, um, because we depend on them just as much as we do the ones at the top. Um, that's it for this week. Uh, if you're enjoying the show, please take a second to rate it or review it on iTunes. Every rating and review helps with ye old algorithm. You write me a review and I will read it live on the air and make you internet famous. That's a promise. Um... If you want to support me, um, there are a couple of ways to do that. You can go to ko-fi.ko-fi.com/change my mind, and there you can buy me a cup of coffee. Um, if you don't want to do that, I do have a book available for pre-order. It'll be out in August. It's called Murder Bears, Moonshine, and Mayhem: Strange Stories from the Bible to Leave You Amused, Be and Hopefully Informed. You can pre-order that on Amazon. Um, My one novel is actually available for purchase again in Kindle form. It's called Ophelia Alive, A Ghost Story. Um, Or go to the website projectconarrative.com. I got a collaborative thing going there with my good friend KB Hoyle. So those are a few things that you can do if you want to throw a couple of bucks my way. I will dance for them. I will dance for them, not really, but I will continue to podcast for them. Um, I want to thank Blake for being on the show. Blake's a good guy. Please do check out his podcast with Matt Ruff, 88 Names, the podcast. It's great. Um, I want to thank Raven Creek Social Club for hosting the podcast. Check out their other shows, The Commentarians and Faith and Other Oddities. And I want to thank you for listening to change my mind, and please don't be afraid to change your mind.